Well, this morning I want to, um, I think I'm going to probably, next Sunday will probably be the last week that we talk about the keys to the kingdom. But I want to I wanna give, give you a key this week. We're, we're doing a series called Keys to the Kingdom, Bring Heaven to Earth. And this week I want to talk about the power key. Okay? Uh, there's a phrase that I hear used quite often in the church. And uh, it really, is a, it's a designation. It's, 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 it's the, 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 the phrase is a powerless Christian. Okay? Now, a powerless Christian is an oxymoron. Now, I didn't say they were morons, okay? I said they were oxymorons, okay? An oxymoron is a, is, is a, is a term in English that means a phrase in which two words of contradictory meaning are used for special effect. In other words, you put two opposite words together, powerless and Christian. And I've heard far too many people say it and use it to excuse spiritual uh, sinful behavior, a lack of faith, maybe a rebellious spirit, or, or just spiritual ignorance. And, and listen to me, ignorance is not stupidity. Ignorance is just a person doesn't know. There's no such thing as a powerless Christian. I'm going to say that again. There is no such thing. No animal like that exists, okay? It's not extinct. It never has been. There's no such thing as a a powerless Christian. If you're a Christian, you're not powerless. Okay? I'm going to say it again because the next statement I make may offend you. All right? If you're a Christian, you're not powerless. If you're powerless, you are not a Christian. Okay? You say, where'd you get that? Just right out of the Bible. Right out of the Bible. We are little Christs. That's what the word Christian means. It's those who are mirrors of of Christ. In, in Antioch, they called the, the church, it was known as the way. They called them Christians. And it was, a, it was a form of derision because they acted like Jesus. And you know what happened to Jesus? He got himself crucified. So they, they said, they're Christians. Well, it stuck. And today, that's the word. Although it describes a lot of things, it was meant to describe the followers of Christ. And there's no such thing is a powerless Christian. If we are little Christs, we have the same power that Jesus had. Okay? Now, powerless and Christian, they're incompatible. They just, they don't go together. They contradict each other. Jesus has given us as his followers, and you've heard me say this over and over the last few weeks, the keys to the kingdom. Those things that we need to access the provisions that are necessary for us in any given situation or circumstance we face. And one of the most potent keys he's given us is what I'm going to choose to call this morning the power key. Now, I want to explain the power key in one sentence, pretty much. The power key is not an it, okay? It's not a thing. The power key is a person, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not a thing. He's a person. 
Okay? He's the third person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Scripture in the New Testament even refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. So he's not an it. He's not a thing. I hear, I hear Christians, I hear, I've heard pastors use that term. Okay, But he's not an it. He's a person. And he's the key that God has given us to access the power that we need to live the Christian life. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church in, in Corinth, makes an amazing statement that, that really is, is, is the, sort of the, the cornerstone of the message today. All the other messages, for the most part, have come out of the book of Matthew, and they've come out of the book of Luke, because Luke, Matthew primarily talks about the, the kingdom of God more than any other disciple. And Luke echoes it. He, he talks about it a good bit. But Paul makes some statements throughout his letters. And, and, and this passage in, in, Car, in, in Corinthians is, is a very powerful statement. Paul writes it to a church that had all the gifts. Okay? He writes it to a church, though, that was in turmoil. They were, they were, you know, they were all over the place. And, and in, in chapter 4, he, he comes, and, and they're debating on who baptized who and, and who was better than who. And, 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 you know, Paul basically says, I'm coming to see y'all, okay? And you need to get your stuff straight. We're not going to wrangle with words. And, and that's what they were doing. And, and what many people don't realize is that in the first century, especially in the Greek culture, one of the most important things you could do was argue correctly. Debate. Debate was, was the cornerstone of their culture. They would debate over anything. And it didn't matter if your point was, was stupid. It just meant if you could debate better than the person you were debating against, everybody thought you were wonderful. And so they liked to talk. And so Paul writes to the church at Corinth, a church that was filled with people who felt they were a little bit superior. He writes to a group that thought they were more superior than their other brothers and sisters. They thought they were super Christians. But in reality, they were just selfish, arrogant Christians. They were arguing, they were judging, they were debating with one another instead of serving one another. They were building religious resumes rather than becoming spiritual soldiers. There were lots of talk, chatter, talk, 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 but there was little walking the walk. They were chattering in court as they argued their cases against one another. I mean, brothers and sisters were suing brothers and sisters and going to court. They were whispering gossip about an incestuous relationship that was going on in their church and about sexual immorality. They were whispering about it. They weren't doing anything about it. And their church was being torn apart. They were arguing over the superiority of who baptized who while the unity of their church was just coming apart at the seams. And they had even made glossolalia, which is the, the Greek word for speaking in tongues, they had made that the ultimate test for spirituality. They had made that the hallmark, the standard. If, if, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not as spiritual as we are. Now, Paul never says that. Listen, speaking in tongues is a gift. 
And it's a gift that still exists today and is still to be used in the church. But it's not the gift, okay? I want you to understand that. It's not the least of the gift. I mean, here's the deal. If you've got a gift, it's not the least of the gifts. It's the gift God's given you to use, all right? But this church had made this the, the gift. And if you didn't do this, you weren't spiritual. So there was a whole lot of talk in this church, but there wasn't a lot of power. There wasn't any power seen in the community. And Paul says these words. Listen to what he says in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. He says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. It's not what you can say. It's what you can do. And that's what Paul said. Hey, I'm coming. And then we'll listen to your words and we'll see what I do. Okay? Because Paul was walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. The church at Corinth wasn't. And so he says, For the kingdom of God does not consist. It's not made up of words, but in power. I want you to let that echo for a minute in your mind. And I I want to give you the principle in just a minute. Here's the principle for today. Kingdom living can't be lived without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit is the power in Christianity. Say, Nelson, I believe I've heard you preach some of this stuff before. Listen to me. If you, if you stay in this church, you will hear me preach this over and over and over. This is the missing element in the modern church. Okay? We know God. We know Jesus. We don't have a clue who the Holy Spirit is and what His role and His function is to be in the body of Christ. And therefore, the church has become marginalized. We've been pushed to the side. Oh, we've got words, we've got a message, but we have no ministry. We have no power. We've got proclamation, but we don't have any demonstration. We've got nothing to back it up. When I was a kid, we would, we would very often, you know, you know, I don't know how girls are, because I'm not one, and I didn't have any sisters, so I have no experience. I've lived in girl world since I got married, Okay. Because I have a wife, I have a daughter, and I have a granddaughter. I don't, I don't have, I mean, but I haven't forgot this. Boys will tend to challenge each other. And they'll go, I dare you. Well, when you get dared, it's either put up or shut up. I mean, you can talk all day long, but when the dare comes, you can't talk anymore. You have to do it. And you know what? The devil is daring the church. Put up or shut up. The world, put up or shut up. Folks, we can't live the Christian life apart from the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The 21st century church is known for many words. We we are primarily known for do this and don't do that. We're known more for what you're not supposed to do than what you're supposed to do. Listen, the world knows what they're not supposed to do. You say, well, how do they know that? Because Romans chapter 1 says, God has put in us a knowledge of good and we know what is right and what is wrong. Okay? But they don't know what to do. 
And that's why God has put us here. But we're known more for what we're against than, than what we're for. We're, we're, we've filled endless shelves with books and magazines and newsletters and blogs and sermons and Bible studies. And yet, too many Christians live shallow existences. And they're being crushed by the chains of bondage. Most are not joyous. Most Christians are not, are not filled uh, with faith. They're not free. In fact, most Christians think and act like the people in the world. If you just look at the polls that are being done right now on different issues, over 50% of professing Christians don't believe in absolute truth. In other words, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Over 50% of the Christians don't believe that homosexuality is wrong. They don't, they don't think it's, that, that, that that's what Scripture means. I could go on and on and on with those numbers, okay? We're not a lot different than the Corinthian church. There's a lot of talk in the church today, but there's not much power. What happened to the power? Well, and, and I know all the excuses. I've heard them, and some of you may be thinking this. Well, you know, God doesn't do things the same way he used to. Says who? Says you? Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean he still can't do it. Okay? Now, y'all are, some of you are looking at me like, where are you going? I, I'm just going to be honest today, okay? I'm going to be straight up with you today. Uh, listen to me. We need the power of the Holy Spirit just as much as the first century believers needed it. You know why? Because we live in a first century world. It's no different. No different. We need a demonstration and a declaration. We need the proclamation and the demonstration, just like the apostles and, and Jesus did. Well, but, 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 Pastor, Pastor, that kind of stuff ended when the last apostle died. Says who? I know that argument. It won't fly. It won't hunt either. I heard that argument in this class, and then I would go to this class where we looked at the language, and the language does not support this position, okay? So if it doesn't support, if the Word of God doesn't support it, this ain't true, okay? I know I got to go on. This is not it. This is not really the... Well, yeah, but... We have a persuasive message. Why do we need power? I mean, Dr. So-and-so says this, and Evangelist Puffin Stuff says this, and, and Pastor Screaming Shout says this. We don't need power. We've got words. We can talk better than any generation before us. We've got the latest and the greatest communication devices. Man, we've got, we've got endless information at our fingertips. We've got smartphones and tablets and laptops and computers. and We've got an app for whatever you need. So how's that working for us? Is the world a better place today? Let me just say this. In my lifetime, I have seen... The greatest slide 
in virtue and morality and truth, I believe, of any generation that has ever lived. I really believe that. Now, I'm not saying we're worse than any generation because they're, it's, it's ebb and flow. But I have seen in my generation things that were taboo that are now legal and accepted and promoted. Okay? And that's a lot of things. So how's it working for us? The vast, vast majority of the Western church has become powerless Christianity. They operate every day in their own power and we stumble around shackled in bondage. Our culture, folks, is sinking into a cesspool of debauchery where evil is called good and good is called evil. What lurked in the gutter and in the closets and in the back alleys now parades down the street and it's considered normal. Just watch your TV. I'm trying my best because I'm not. I don't believe in hammering people. Okay, people are lost. But but there's. I mean, it's amazing. Just turn your TV on one evening. Turn on ABC or NBC. You don't have to go to cable. Watch your commercials and see what is promoted. Not the not the object they're selling, but the lifestyle behind the object. Okay. Murderers have invaded Bible studies and done atrocities. Folks, there's a darkness, a deep darkness that is stalking the land we live in. And the children of light are standing idly by talking. And most of them are not even talking. The thing that has discouraged me the most in the last few years is the silence of the church. The silence of the leaders of the church. Not the people, the leaders. There's been a silence. You mean to know why that silence is there? Fear. There's a fear of man. Scripture says the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. Folks, we either stand up and live out what we believe or we join the rest of the folks and have a big time. That's, that's the only two options we have. There's no such thing, just like there's no such thing as a powerless Christian, there's no such thing as a secret believer. Okay? Now, having said all that and got it out of my system, it seems to me rather obvious that talking with words doesn't work. Amen? So where's the power? Paul says that the kingdom of God does not consist in words but in power. Where's the demonstration of the Holy Spirit? Where's the transformation that comes from a divine visitation of God's Spirit? Where are the springs of living water that are supposed to be exploding up and, and pouring out of us? Listen to me. We're not using the power key that God's given us. The Christian life can't be lived effectively. It can't even be lived without the power of the Holy Spirit. People can't be born again through words. They are born again through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they hear the good news, they are birthed into a new life through the power, through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit. I want to say that again. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture teaches to accomplish all that He did. Scripture's 
really clear. I'm going to go through these really quick. But at his baptism, Luke 3, 22 says, The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. Now, we have this picture of, of, of the Holy Spirit and the dove is a, is a visual picture of just resting on him. But, but he didn't just, the Holy Spirit didn't just rest on Jesus. He went right on inside, okay? Because it says in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You can't be full of something if it's on the outside. So the Holy Spirit, had, he had moved inside. And then Luke chapter 4, 14, it says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And during his first sermon, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 4, 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Four chapters, I mean, it's more than that. But Luke wants you to know that there's something different about this prophet. There's something different about this rabbi, this teacher. It's the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's dri- it's dripping off of him. He, the Holy Spirit is dripping off of Jesus. He's running out. Every- when he sweats, he's sweating Holy Spirit, okay? If you were at the, up in Morris yesterday, you know what I'm talking about. I, I'm, a, I'm a sweater, okay? When I start to sweat, I get wet from my knees to my shoulders. It runs down my legs, into my shoes, into my socks. I know that's nasty and that's an awful picture to think about. But that's just how it is. I know some of y'all, y'all just perspire a little bit. I sweat. As Christians, that's the way the Holy Spirit should be. You know, he should just pour out. He should pour out. And if you read this book very carefully, you'll find that King Jesus and the kingdom of God invaded the kingdom of darkness. When Jesus came, he invaded the kingdom of darkness. And it, it wasn't a shot here and a shot. It was shock and awe. Two kingdoms collided. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. The, Satan, who, who leads the kingdom of darkness, collided with Jesus. And there were demonstrations of power on both sides. But the power on Jesus' side was indescribable. Scripture says that he plundered the strong man's house. And if you remember that, that story and that teaching, Jesus says, you can't take what the strong man has until you, you, you tie him up, you bind him. And then Jesus plundered his house. He took what belonged to the strong man, what the strong man had. The deaf begin to hear. The blind begin to see. The lame begin to leap and to dance. The sick and the infirmed receive their healing. The demonized were set free. Lepers were cleansed. Remember several months ago I I shared with you that uh, there were three signs that the Messiah would do that that they would know that, that the Messiah was the Messiah when he did. The rabbis were teaching this. Number one, the blind would see. Someone who had never seen, that was born blind, would see. Someone who was deaf and mute would speak. And they would hear. And the lepers would be cleansed. Jesus fulfilled all of us. In fact, he healed ten lepers all at one time. 
two or three blind, I mean, uh, deaf and mute, and countless blind people. And so he comes on the scene and he does those things. And, and then, as Gomer Pyle would say, golly, he raised the dead. Now, he didn't do those things because he was God. He did those things because he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He was God, all right. I'm not denying that. But everything he did on his earthly mission here, he did as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Or you and I can't follow his example because none of us are God. We're just flesh and bone. But he became flesh, and he became bone, and he did those things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And folks, the strong man's house was plundered, and the captives were set free, and there's a new sheriff in town. Okay, things changed. There's a new king on the throne. And even when he is crucified, buried, and placed in a tomb, you're not going to see this passage, but I encourage you to look it up. Later on, Romans 8.11 says that the Spirit, the power and the person of the Holy Spirit is what God used to raise Jesus from the dead. And Paul says that that same Spirit resides in us. And listen to me. I, I feel like I've, you know, I'm, I'm, this is one of those things that I don't think the early church had to argue anybody into. But it's almost become something in the modern church that you have to convince people of. Jesus, he deputized us. And he authorized us and he empowered us to continue the work that he started. Folks, to continue the invasion force that was to be guided and empowered and full of the Holy Spirit. Because in Acts chapter 1 verse 7, listen to what he says. You shall receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Who? Who's going to do that? Those who are born again and belong to Jesus. Okay? Who? Believers. What? You're going to get the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, my next question then is, when? Listen to what he says. When the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there are no There is no such thing as a powerless Christian, folks. But there are multitudes of professors. And by that I mean people who claim to have something for which there is no proof. They're professed. They don't possess the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit, listen to me, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you are a ticking time bomb. Just looking for a place to go off. Okay? You're a bundle of dynamite. That's where dynamite comes from a word in Greek, dunamis, that describes the power of God. We're we're a package of dynamite just waiting to explode. We've got a short fuse. Look at the life of Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit was evident and it was central in his life. Study the apostles. Study the disciples who took Christ's mantle up in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit was evident and he was central in their lives. Acts chapter 2, verse 4 says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. All of them. All means all. And that it's not this one or that one. It's all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to the invitation that Peter gives after his sermon on the day of Pentecost. He says, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, 
You need to be born again. That's what he says. That's what he's saying. And a part of being born again was, 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 being, uh, was dying and being buried with Jesus. And so they would symbolize that. They would say to the community, I've, I'm dead in Christ and I've been buried in Christ and now I'm being raised by Christ by public profession. They're, they didn't walk aisles. They went down to the creek or over to the fountain or the pond that was right next to town and they baptized and it was a declaration, it was a statement to everybody in town, uh-oh, that's one of them. That's one of those Christians. But he says, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God pours out on his children. Listen to what else he said. I love this part. For the promise is to you and your children. And here's the best part. And for all who are far off. You know who the ones who are far off is? Us. The Holy Spirit is speaking through Peter in that sermon, through that sermon. And, and he's talking about those who would come to, to believe in Jesus Christ. Generation after generation. The same gift that the disciples and the apostles got in, the, in the, uh, the, the upper room is the same gift and person we get. Okay? There, he hasn't changed any. I, 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 I just don't think you believe that. Okay? I'm going to move on. Folks, nothing has changed since the day of Pentecost. The world we live in is still dying. The devil's still killing and stealing and destroying anyone, anything he gets hands on. People are born and they die without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tick, tick, tick. The judgment, the final judgment's coming. Nothing has changed since the day of Pentecost except very few people who profess to know Christ possess anything that remotely resembles the power of the Holy Spirit that the early church had. Very few disciples carry the same power that the early disciples carried. Why? Because we've believed a lie. We've believed a lie, folks. We've believed that words are enough. Listen to me. When the Holy Spirit melts with the Word of God, lives are changed. Okay? But if the Holy Spirit does not melt and make those words come alive, they're words off a page. I've been on visits. I've watched people share the gospel and nothing take place. I've shared the gospel numerous times. And nothing. And then there have been times when I've spit and sputtered and couldn't think of the next word to say. And in my head I'm going, oh gosh, I shouldn't have said that. And I didn't even really make sense. And the person said, man, I I want Jesus. It's not us, folks. It's the Holy Spirit working through us. It's the power of God in us. And and Peter says that the promise is for us. It's for all of us who are far off. That's who he's talking about when he says the promise of the Holy Spirit, the access to his power is available to us. 
But we've believed a lie. There's a, a clear proclamation of the gospel. We believe that if we just proclaim the words, something will happen. But folks, without a dynamic demonstration of the gospel, nothing happens. We've made excuses for God. Because we don't see anything happen, we figure, hey, God's changed. Must be doing things different. No, God hadn't changed because He's immutable. That means He cannot change. So we need to stop making excuses for God and just say to God, excuse me, God, I've been living in unbelief and I desperately need your power. I desperately need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can hear what some of you are thinking. Okay? Well, I was taught you get the whole package when you come to Christ. I would ask you to raise your hand, but that will be all of us in here pretty much. Okay? I was taught the same thing. And yet I see churches filled with powerless Christians who supposedly got the whole package when they came to Christ. So there are only three options with that. There's something wrong with me, something wrong with God, or something wrong with the teaching. Now, rest assured, there's nothing wrong with God. Okay? So there's either something wrong with the way I was taught, or there's something wrong with me. Now, you got to decide which of those work for you. All right? I, I can't do that for you. You say, well, tell us, Pastor. Tell us the answer. I don't know. I can't look inside of you. I don't know. I just know it ain't God. Okay? Because he's not changed. So, therefore, it's got to be me. There must be something that's out of whack with me, or there's something out of whack with the way I was taught. But there is something we can all do. Okay? And I think it's biblical. We can obey what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. I'm going to read this. I'm about done. Jesus says, And I say to you, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. And those words don't mean knock one time, ask one time, seek one time. They mean Seek, 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 and keep on seeking. Ask, 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 and keep on asking. For everyone. Does everyone mean all of us? Yes, it does. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks or keeps on seeking, finds. And everyone to him who knocks, the one that keeps on knocking, it shall be open. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. That father won't give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give his, his son a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We just need to get up every day and ask. And keep on asking. You say, well, how will I know? I've heard this before, okay? I understand what it means, but most people don't. Well, you just believe in faith and go on about your business. Okay. The disciples in the, in the upper room, 
They didn't have to wonder when the Holy Spirit filled them. They were different. Peter was different. Now he still made mistakes. But you know what? He never denied Jesus again. Thomas didn't doubt anymore. Tradition says Thomas went to India. He was boiled alive for his faith. In fact, every one of the twelve died violent deaths except for John. These are fishermen and tax collectors. These are not warriors and soldiers, but they have been transformed into warriors and soldiers by the Holy Spirit. And they would not deny what they knew to be true. Folks, that takes more than willpower. That takes the Spirit's power. And so, he asked this question. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let me just ask you a question. A couple of questions, I'm done. Are you living a powerless life? Do you feel like a, a powerless Christian? If you have to think very much, or the answer is yes, then just ask God right now. Well, ask Him what? Ask your Heavenly Father to give you the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Ask Him to immerse you in His Holy Spirit. Ask Him to baptize you with the Spirit. I don't care how you do it, just ask. Use another term or phrase if you're not comfortable in any of them. Just say, God, I want Him. I want you. Stop worrying about your neighbor. Stop worrying about your husband, your wife, your meemaw, your papa, your significant other, or whatever, the person sitting next to you. Forget about them. Start, stop worrying about what might happen and just ask for what you need. Folks, if we don't ask, we don't get the power. We don't get the key. If I don't have the key, I can't access where I need to go. I won't have the supplies. I won't have the stuff that I need to get me through where I've got to walk. Paul puts it this way. The kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Let's pray. Father, I know there's... For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.